0: Our first guest tonight is Melissa Ashley. Melissa is the author of several historical novels, including the best-selling The Birdman's Wife, the story of the artist Elizabeth Gould. That novel went on to win many awards. The Queensland Premier's Fiction Award, the Australian Bookseller Award, amongst others. Melissa has also published a collection of poetry, The Hospital for Dolls as well as short stories and writing in many of the major Australian journals, including The Guardian, the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, and the Australian Book Review. She has a PhD in creative writing from UQ, as well as receiving a commendation from that university for outstanding academic achievement in the field of research. Melissa is passionate about the forgotten lives of women, particularly in science. But she's here tonight to talk about her fascinating new novel, The Naturalist of Amsterdam, which follows the life of Dorothea Merian, daughter of the entomologist Maria Sibella Merian, who has been described as the world's first ecologist. Please welcome Melissa to Millennium. (laughs) Perhaps we could begin with Maria Sibella Merian. I mean, who was she? Why do we know about her?
1: So, um, good evening, everybody. Um, So, as you were saying, Maria Sibylla-Marion, she's known as the world's first ecologist. Uh, She was born in 1647. She's a German-Dutch woman and she was one of the very first Europeans to describe metamorphosis. Um, and she became basically fascinated by the life cycles of insects, particularly butterflies and moths, from the age of 13. And she had this 50-year career as a naturalist. And so she was the most exquisite artist, but she was also a scientist. So she, she reared um, insects in nurseries in her home, and she drew them, paint, made watercolour paintings and then books out of them, but also scientifically described them. And this was a very unusual thing to do for her time. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, when you say that, because up until then, they thought insects somehow just spontaneously came out of the mud or something. Is that right? I mean, it's hard to believe.
1: Yeah, so there was this idea of spontaneous generation. So they thought insects came from rotting meat, um, mud, dead cows and everything, and they also thought that insects were sort of evil, like harbingers, harbingers of evil, I guess from plagues in the Bible and everything, and scientists weren't very interested in studying them. They thought they, they didn't obviously understand the complexities of insects' involvement in, in in the ecological systems, and they, yeah, they weren't very interested in them, but Maria just, she fell in love with them um, as a young girl and had a 50-year career and, and never, ever stopped um, this sense of awe and wonder that she had about them that she wanted to share with everybody.
0: Yeah. And you have actually kind of a personal collection, connection with this early um, Maria because, as I understand it, from about the age of 13, she started keeping what she called a study book, which one assumes was a kind of notebook or something like that. And you're in possession of a copy of it, is this correct?
1: Um, so I'm in possession of a facsimile of it. There were 250 of them made. This is this an incredibly um, valuable, unique document. It's in, in St. Petersburg. It was originally collected by Peter the Great. And, yes, she kept it for 50 years. And so it's all her observations of the life cycles of all sorts of insects. And then um, she painted them and drew them in all the different stages of their metamorphosis and she used to cut them up and stick them into the study book. And it ha- hasn't actually been um, translated into English, it's, it's in Russian, but I bought a copy of it during COVID, which was when I um, wrote the book. I, I wanted to travel but I couldn't travel and it cost thousands and thousands of dollars and, yeah, imported it into Australia. Um, yeah, and it, it's, it's, it's pretty much a rare book. Um, And I think obviously you can't go over and and look at it in Russia, uh, you know, now. It's kept in the Hermitage in in St. Petersburg, the the original.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So look, I I, I don't want to concentrate too much on Maria because she's not actually the subject of your book, is is she? It's it's her daughter, Dorothea, and uh, um, we first come upon the family in in your novel. The, the whole family, Maria, the elder daughter Hannah and um, Dorothea, they're mm. all living in this Labardist community. And do you want to expand on that a little bit, what a Labardist community is and, and, what, and also what the hell they were doing there?
1: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I'll introduce it with Maria again. But um, so Maria and her husband's marriage began to founder. Um, they'd put out two books together, and she escaped. That she's originally um, from Frankfurt, and she moved to Friesland, in the Netherlands, and to join this doomsday cult called the Labardists. And uh, they believed the end of the world was coming. They had they took their children from their parents and kind of raised them communally so their parents wouldn't get too attached to their children. And uh, Maria could get rid of her husband um, because they believed, they didn't recognise the laws of the day. And so um, she, she sort of managed to get her husband kept out of the cult and she could hold her head up high in the cult because... Marriage to them was a covenant between God and the husband and wife and it had nothing to do with the laws of the time. Um, She was allowed to uh, practice scientifically there. Um, And so Dorothea, the the novel starts out with Dorothea, her daughter, who's the narrator of the novel, and she has this um, particularly harsh childhood under the Labardists and she's taken there when she's eight and she stays there until she's about 16. And so that sort of shapes her character in a way and um, because I suppose she's separated from her mother, um, part of her journey um, as a character is to sort of explore her connection with her mother um, because she spends uh, up until she's 40 all of her life with her mother working as her assistant, her number one uh, person in the studio to help her make her books. Her mother trained her in all of her skills.
0: Uh, I don't want to sort of give the audience the impression that the whole novel is set in the Labardus community because that's only actually the first chapter. They, the Labardus, it was just a stepping stone for Maria in some way. She just wanted to get rid of her husband and it was a convenient way to do so. I think it was that she could, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm probably putting words in your mouth here. But uh, what what was interesting was that after a time, the Labardus got too much for Maria even. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think... um, Yes, yeah, she did. She the whole community fell apart. They were they had a very very severe practices. You know, they totally rejected the wealth that you know Dutch were very rich at, at this time in history. They totally rejected their lifestyle, and a bunch of them um, moved to Suriname, which is in South America, to sort of found um, a new Jerusalem, like a utopia, where they could be even further away from civilization, I guess. And. Um, The the community that they created was was a big disaster, but they sent back all sorts of beautiful plants and insects and reptiles from Suriname, and and Maria came across them, and this is where she sort of fell in love with them. And because she was an entomologist and she was a scientist, she didn't want to um, study the dead butterflies and collect the dead butterflies. She actually wanted to observe um, their life cycles, and so she went to Suriname, and she took she was in her early 50s when she did this and she took Dorothea with her. Dorothea was about 20 and she wouldn't have been able to make the journey without her daughter. A woman couldn't have done that on her own. Um, and so, yeah, the book sort of exp- – Maria was very unusual in her time in that she had this artistic studio and she trained her daughters. It was usually male artists who, who did this. And so she ran this whole business and then her, her daughters, Hannah and Dorothea, were integral. To that, And so, yeah, we explore how Dorothea supports her mother, but then she's got to figure out, you know, who she is herself and and what, you know, besides working for a very demanding um, uh, genius artist who her mother was, what's she going to do and who who is she herself?
0: Mm. Do you think it'd be a good idea to give the audience a little taste of it, just a a short reading? It'd be lovely.
1: Um, I'm going to read a little bit from... So, Dorothea has this idea that as an artist um, she's not quite as good as her older sister and and she doesn't think she's as good as her mother and there's a time um, in her apprenticeship as an artist where she starts to be asked to take on more responsibility. Hannah had been teaching me to sketch and paint for she would soon begin her confinement and it wasn't clear whether she'd return to the atelier once she was a mother. She had me working on a peony rose and was determined to impart the secrets of its creation. Lingering over the vellum, I wished I had the talents to convey its qualities. On some days, Ma and Hannah's skills seemed as mysterious to me as the secret changes that took place inside the cocoon of a butterfly, such fine nuance, such fragile sensuality. Hannah had mixed the palest, most delicate shell pink the flower shone in several stages of budding. Open, the stem turned towards the ground, a frilled trumpet, perhaps the day before it began to shed petals, another smaller bud also pointing downwards rather than facing the sun at the cusp of fully opening. Tiny rips ruffled the edges of the opened bloom, the colouring built up in fine layers. The peony rose's leaves were flared and prickly at the edges like thistles, the supporting stem firm and strong. The speck of a moth guided the viewer's eye along the looping, flowering head to the unopened seed pod at the right.
0: So the, <laughs> the book um, that they produced, like, so as you said, they went to Suriname. So, and I was quite curious about that. I'll, I'll hold my first question until the second one here, because I was curious about the fact that having left the Labardist community, they then went to Suriname themselves and they weren't happy just to stay in the capital. They actually travelled upriver to what was left of the community by that time. And the community, like a lot of these utopian communities, had just collapsed completely and was left with just three people in it or something. Yeah?
1: Yeah, that's right. They did spend a period of time in Amsterdam. So they left the, um, the Labardists and then were in Amsterdam for about six years where Maria ran a business. Um, but, yeah, they went to Suriname and she did spend time in Paramaribu which is the capital of Suriname, uh, and they did um, – they had beautiful gardens there and so, as you can imagine, it's it's a bit like Queensland where you've got these lovely um, birds, butterflies in, in your own backyard. So she studied those and she collected them and she had nurseries and everything in Paramaribu But she was really interested in um, undescribed and unknown species of insects – also interested in reptiles and also interested in plants, and so she travelled. It was um, 50 miles upriver from Paramarabu to this abandoned labardist settlement. It was a sugar plantation that had failed. The enslaved people they had uh, who worked on it mutinied, and and yeah, there's just a couple of stragglers left there. When um, yeah, when we explore what they do in the book, so she was just interested always in in pushing the envelope and finding um, species of. Uh, insects that hadn't been seen by Europeans before, because at this time you had this incredible natural history trade with all sorts of um, novel and exotic, curious specimens flowing into Amsterdam. You know, from from the colonies that they had all over the New World.
0: And the, the, the second question I was, going, I was going to ask on that is that. Uh, the book that they produced is called "The Metamorphosis of Insects of Suriname uh, well, it's called that in Dutch, but um mm-hmm. that's the translation. but uh, I wondered whether that was a theme that you saw in the novel because dorothea's life is 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 we start with her in the kind of cocoon of the family and and it's in some way her growth that we' we're following through. Did, was that something you were working on in your mind at the time?
1: Yeah I, think there's, yeah, I think there's definitely a theme and a, and a metaphor um, there with that. Um, yeah, I mean, themes that are really important to me about this book was this idea that, and, and it's, it's like the third stage, I suppose, when, you know, you become the imago or the butterfly. I was interested in uh, not so much someone's coming-of-age story, but a lot of us kind of have... Second lives you know we, we live a cert- our, our life goes a certain way up until you know our 40s or our late 30s or something, and then maybe we lose a partner, you know our children grow up, something really changes and we start a second life and so that's really a theme that I'm exploring in this book, so it's, 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 it's about I suppose someone discovering a new part of themselves later on in their life and yeah, perhaps that's the final stage of, of their evolution of their metamorphosis yeah.
0: She eventually flies away, <laughs> spreads, her, she, spreads, spreads her wings, yeah. But, but it's quite a long journey she has to make. Just before we leave Suriname, though, as you mentioned, hinted just there, this was a very much a slave culture because we're talking, what year was this, 1703 or something like that, if I uh, recall? They were there um,
1: 1699 to 1701 yeah, in so, Suriname.
0: So, and this is still very much a slave culture and Maria I'd, and in the novel with Dorothea, you give them both as being very critical of slavery. Yeah,
1: yeah. Maria was um, very critical um, in her writing, so she, in in the Metamorphosis of the Insects of Suriname, she, she criticised the trade, thought it was extremely cruel, obviously, and was very frustrated and couldn't understand the, the obsession um, with making wealth, particularly through sugar, because I guess she, number one, she's seeing the world through a naturalist's eyes, but then number two I think is really interesting in that she's seeing the world through a woman's eyes, in a way, and I think that she has... a a different perspective maybe, um, and and perhaps a perspective that maybe hasn't been explored a lot either. And so I think that she's an interesting person to look at in that sense and maybe has a different colonial interpretation in a way.
0: Yes, because that's a, I spoke to Anna Funda a few months ago here and she was talking about um, the capacity for people who are on the outside to see um, the structures Mm. of society more clearly than the people who are inside them.
1: I think that's absolutely a really good way of saying that's absolutely what Maria did when she was in Suriname, looking at the du- at the Dutch culture, the Dutch um, imperialists and, and and then back at her own culture um, in the Republic as well absolutely and yeah, she wrote about that
0: yep. yeah and the drawings that she made um, uh, I uh, was only when I was doing Research to talk to you, I realised these are on A2 size sheets. These are huge drawings. You see them on the computer, but they're only little things. Yes. But they, yeah. they really are very big and, and very beautiful. Yeah. How, how did you find um, Dorothea? How did, how did she come into your life?
1: Um, yeah, I, I found out about Maria about 10 years ago when I was researching to write my first book, The Birdman's Wife. And um, she sort of sat with me and I found her a really, um, overpower- I, I was interested in writing about her but I found her to be a really overpowering presence and, and in terms of exploring her as a character I felt that there, a lot was known about her and that a lot had been written about her so when I found out about there was a book about um, Maria's daughters and how they'd contributed to the family studio when I found this book it, it actually suggested that she, suggested to me that I might actually be able to write the book because here was Um, somebody that I could explore Maria through and and that was really interesting to me. I guess just to find out that she was part of this very unusual female-led family firm of of artists.
0: Well, look, it's a a fascinating read and and thank you very much. Thank you for coming to Melania.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank (laughs) you.